A Boeing 727 was flying and holding before landing in Tenerife, what caused the flight to crash into the side of a hill. Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. And? I'm Heather. And I'm Kaylin. Hey! Again. It's a party. It's a whole party. There's a whole five of us now. It's a party because someone didn't want to be stuck at their uh, parents' house. It's me. We're close by. And someone's been hyperfixating on projects all day. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so this house has become an escape. Which is fine because... This episode, I think, will be, and I, I know, I'll curse the words, but I think it'll be relatively short. <laughs> Nick, I swear, if you lied to me. I, I, I I'm Again. Sorry. My notes aren't very long. Your notes aren't very long. The second half just doesn't have much to talk about. My notes make a lot more sense now that I've seen a picture, so. Makes sense. Does yeah. it have more findings than last time? Yes. Does Barely. it have recommendations this time? Yes, it does. Oh, my God. It doesn't say none. However, we also have another thing to talk about at the end of it. The addendum. Oh, there's an addendum. And it this matters. This one or last one? To this, this one. This one. Anyways. Got it. We do have a new patron we have to thank. Already? They wow. Since yesterday? yesterday? <laughs> His name is Bob. Hi, Bob. Another it's a Bob. Different, it's a different Bob. Different Bob. Um, hey, Bob. Hi, Bob. Where's Bob from? I don't know. I didn't look. <laughs> I, didn't look to, I just got the email. <laughs> we have to differentiate the Bobs. Bob Sorry. is probably from a place. Yes, brilliant. Thank also, you. they- You're welcome. He is a $20 patron, so we'll see him on the next one. That's not going to be Excellent. confusing at all. Bob and Bob. All the Bob. Bobs. Bob, Bob and Bob. This Bob goes by Shaggy. Yeah. All right. So all that's right. already that's easy. That's already differentiating. Way to go, Shaggy. And is from Maine. Oh, Maine. Okay. He's from the U.S. So. All right. We have a we have a U.S. Maine and an Irish Maine. Yeah. Or an Irish Bob. Irish Sorry. Irish. <laughs> we, have a, we, have US, we have a U.S. Bob and an Irish Bob. Nick, you good there? I'm good. There Brain's go. not functioning, but that's okay. They're trying to fire all cylinders that ain't nope, working. That was earlier today. <laughs> oh, I guess we have a another a new free patron. A new free patron. So welcome, ah. James. Yes. Hello. Again, I don't know why you guys do that because you don't get anything for free. But it just okay. shows that they're there. All right. I mean, I, I we appreciate the support. We have other free ones we haven't thanked either that are thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanked. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Okay. I've had alcohol today. <laughs> I have not. So have I. I know. Anyways. All right. Other than that, I mean, do all the normal stuff, right? Check out the newsletter. Check out the merch page. Yep. Go like, subscribe, share, everything everywhere. Click that like button. No, I'm just yeah. Smash, Smash that, that like, like button. button. <laughs> <laughs> Hit that bell for no... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. What do we cover today, Nick? Today, we are covering Dan Air Flight 1008. Thanks, to. Bob! Bob! Bob. <laughs> Irish not Bob. New Bob. Irish Bob. Irish Bob. <laughs> For recommending this. Man, I'm yeah. getting so many spoilers right now. Yeah. You're just you have this one, up? You have one spoiler on the screen. I was about to just say it out of spite. <laughs> Do you even know what that is? I don't know what that is. I know what that is because I did the newsletter. It's fine. It says words. It does. All the way on the right side. Oh. Oh. So yes, I know what that is. It's right there. Anyways. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. Yes, that is spoilers. Whoops. I didn't know you meant that kind of spoilers. Yeah, no, what? it's written on our Did sheet. Did you think I meant like the thing that makes a car go faster? No, I thought you... <laughs> no, the things that pop up on an airplane that slow it down, actually. Yeah, it does make sense. 
Why would that be helpful or <laughs> detrimental right now? I, I, thought, I thought you meant future episodes. Anyways, I mean, well, the numbers yes, mean nothing bad. to me, but when the cause is on the right, <laughs> yeah, that means something. Anyways, it doesn't. It still doesn't tell you the story. No, that's my job. I was about to say no. That's yours. That's <laughs> yeah. You. Speaking of which, this accident occurred on April twenty fifth of nineteen eighty. This is a Boeing 727-46. This is another 727? Jesus. Yes, 727. This, the, the 46 variant is just the configuration that Dan Air operated, but it's actually a 727-100, the shorter version, the original version of the 727. This one had the tail registration. I can't really call it a number because there's no numbers. Oh. <laughs> Golf-Bravo Delta Alpha November, or GB-DAN. Gibidan. Gibidan. Because Dan Air, so Dan, you know. This is a charter flight from Manchester to Tenerife, Tenerife Norte. Which is the same Tenerife airport that, yes. you know. It's Los Rodeos. It is the same Tenerife as the Tenerife. The Tenerife. Disaster. <laughs> yes. Same one. That's episode 25 and 26, by the way. There you go. If I you, thought it was 23 new. and 24. Oh, my God. Or Bro, 24 imagine. and 25. <laughs> Hold so on. it's somewhere in the mid-20s. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, I, let's see who gets to it first. I am no Miranda. longer somewhere in my mid-20s. It's 23 and 24. Is it? Nick? Yeah. yeah. Me neither. I know. I swear it was 24 and 25. It's 25 right and 26. there. <laughs> it's 23 and 24. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, whatever. Okay. It was in the 20s. Well, anyway. it was It was one of our early episodes, but you should go listen to that if you have not done so yet. Yes. Because it's Tenerife. Yeah. This is the Tenerife everyone forgets about that happened three years later. Yes, it did. Jeez, I wonder why. Well, it didn't kill as many people. No, but... Nothing has. So. No. No. Anyways, the captain for this flight was Arthur John Wellen, who was 50 years old. That sounds like a proper British name. Yes. And at the time had 15,299 hours total. Was Dan Air a British airline? Yes. yes. Okay. That's Talk why their the- tail number starts with... G. Oh, well, dude, I don't remember this have, crap. I know. Okay. G for Great Britain. Oh. We have talked about Dan Air so many times. <laughs> Dan Air didn't have a very good history. To be fair, we haven't covered Dan Air in a while. No, we haven't, but we've covered a lot of Dan Air because Dan Air unfortunately had a bad history. Anyways, of the 15,299 hours total that Captain had, he also had 1,912 of those on the 727s. The first officer was Michael John Firth. Also a very white name. Yes. He was 33 years old. He had 3,492 hours total, of which 1,618 were on 727s. And then there was a flight engineer who was Raymond John Carey, who was also 33 years old and had 3,340 hours total. But we don't know how many were on the 727. The report didn't state it. Okay. All of the crew had John as their middle name. Did you notice that? Yeah. That's why I said that that way, because all all three of them had John as their middle name. It's almost as bad as Marie. <laughs> the flight departed Manchester at 9.22 a.m. local time with 138 passengers and eight crew. The takeoff, climb, and cruise were uneventful and normal. That means this happened on landing. <laughs> <laughs> they were bound for Tenerife, and this happened in Tenerife, so yes. That means there was an uh-oh. There was an uh-oh. I mean, we knew there was going to be an uh-oh. Yeah. It's but on it's the podcast. on landing. Tenerife being in the Canary Islands, this is a vacation destination. This is a popular vacation destination to this day. There are two airports in Tenerife now, Los Rodeos and Tenerife South, which is actually the bigger one. Being, you know, the Canary Islands means it's where everybody flocks to during 
the cold. It's the Spanish. They're Spanish. Yes. They're colonies. So this flight was a vacation charter, because, of course, vacation destination, that was to fly to Tenerife full of vacationing passengers, pick up another full load of vacationing passengers to take them back to Manchester. So this wasn't a regularly scheduled flight, per se. And this is actually still a common thing by a couple of airlines in Europe and the UK specifically. But what happens is tour companies and why am I charters? No, like where you would go to book things, especially in the 80s. Uh, but the travel, travel booking. Agencies. Travel agencies. Thank Good you. God. Tour companies, <laughs> tour companies and travel agencies sell you vacation packages to certain destinations. And what happens is they fill enough to literally just charter a whole air, airplane yeah. for a specific date. And they do that on purpose. Why didn't we just do that for band trips? We took up an entire plane. It's harder in the U.S. I'll okay. put it that way. It doesn't necessarily always prove financially viable to do such a thing. Okay. It's because the U.S. is dumb. Yes. It's not impossible, but it is expensive. When you're talking about the U.K., they don't have to move airplanes very far in order to get them to the right place to start one of these things. They can schedule a charter in and out. In the U.S., distances are very far. So if you have to send an airplane empty to a location, you have to pay for that, too. We're in Denver. It's a hub. Yeah. But you know who does charters here? Delta. Oh. So they have to send their airplanes from, like, Atlanta and Minneapolis and Detroit. So at least an hour and some. Okay, well, never mind. If not more. And that's expensive. Sorry for me trying to make a whole business <laughs> idea here. No, but in the U.S., what we do have charters for are casino travel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah, big yeah. time. That is a sun country thing through and through. That is their whole shtick. What? Yeah. How yeah, many, we have... talked about that on an episode recently. Yeah, about a quarter of their traffic per year in and out of Denver are chartered flights either in or out, taking people to casino towns in Arizona and Nevada and whatnot. But we have even casinos Blackhawk here. Has, yeah, even Blackhawk has like a bunch of buses that are chartered. Yes. Yeah, see a bus makes sense. A whole plane? Yeah. Dude, old people really like to gamble. Yeah, so also do. bringing it back to last episode with the 747 SP, one of the... But one of the companies that owns one is Sands, the resort. Yeah, Sands company. Resorts. So they could charter them too. Yeah, they charter them to their different resorts around the world. Primarily are casinos, so that's kind of the whole point. They they charter them for their high dollar spenders. You Look know. at me bringing it all, tying it all together. That's right. Yeah, tying it back to yesterday. Yes, <laughs> for Shut us up. that was yesterday. For, for y'all, you, that it was, was last, last week. week. Yeah. So. Let me have my moment, okay? No. <laughs> so, anyways, Jet Two Holiday is a good example of this in the UK. Still. Uh, portion of their fleet is used for charter flights, for vacation destinations, sun destinations primarily during the winter. I think the British Midlands tour tour flight was also that. Probably. Yes. So that's what this is. This is not a quote-unquote regularly scheduled flight, even though it is a scheduled flight, but it was operating as a vacation charter. Okay. As they do. The initial descent was normal. As the flight was descending to Tenerife, Las Palmas Control Center transferred the flight to Tenerife Norte Airport, the North Airport. Right. Most radios. Uh, the approach controller. 1.14 p.m. and 28 seconds, the flight made initial contact with the approach controller and reported that they were at 11,000 feet and 14 nautical miles from the Tenerife VOR, which is Tango Foxtrot November, VOR DME. That's just in case you need a quick refresher on VORs and VOR DME. That is a specific point. It is a 
vector point, but it is an actual physical thing as well. It's it's a that little, emits a beacon. Yeah. It's a little beacon cone in the ground that's red and white striped, and it depends emits, on where, but yes, it emits a radio signal that you can tune into. Yes, and it gives them distance information and also navigational information. Yeah, we still have one here at Den. Yeah, there's there's lots of them still, but eventually they you will. You can actually see it if you go to our plane spotting spot on yeah. the south side. Yeah, 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 you can. But they will all get retired eventually. It's just a matter of time. The U.S. Yeah, is actually GPS. Set. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Why would you need it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, it's a very outdated GPS. form of of navigation, and we still train on it. People, I mean, you never know. People sometimes. love flying VOR to VOR in their training and stuff. Mm-hmm. Some people really like it, but it's very inaccurate. But also, that makes sense. Yeah. But also, it's also just very outdated. I mean, it doesn't serve much of a, yeah, of a purpose. purpose anymore. And so the way that you navigate to a VOR, you are given usually a radial to tune to. Yes. So say that you were in the Denver area and you are tuned into the Denver VOR and you are given the radial 270. Right. So you have to think about the VOR as being the center point of that radial, not talking. This is not talking about compass navigation. This is talking about navigation to a center point Yep, being the VOR. So you have a 360 degree, you know, radial around that VOR. It's weird that you're not the center. Nope. The VOR is the center. The VOR is the center and you're either tracking to or from the VOR. You can use it for navigation either way. So if you're flying toward it, then you're on a radial flying toward the VOR. And if you're flying away from the VOR, it's behind you. You can still be tuned into it and it'll, you track at a radial away from it. Yeah. So the Thank God for GPS. Yeah, yes. right? Um and so when on your device on your instruments in the cockpit, one of them shows you if you are to the left or right of that radial that you're tuned into. Mm-hmm. So if you're tuned into the 270 radial flying towards the VOR, you are flying from west to east, right? Or, if you're flying on the 27 radial, is it the other way around? It's the other way around. Toward because there's a two-direction radial and a from-direction Right, radial. you would be flying to the west. If you pass it, that will then switch to east, which is a whole timing thing, too. As soon as you switch from flying toward to flying from, away from... The instrument tells you that. The instrument tells you that, and you're, there's literally, like, timing you're supposed to do as well if you're doing certain forms of navigation. You time how... You, you reset your timer, and now you fly a certain amount of time in a different direction before you change to another VOR and change to a different radial and fly at that VOR. This sounds like some treasure map. So, <laughs> yes. you may recall I gave this whole spiel on the um, New York mid-air collision, and I cried because I couldn't understand... VORs. Yeah, I do remember that. You might note, I still don't really understand them, but you need to understand for this episode, for no particular reason, how radials work. GPS. GPS is a nice thing, yes, but... Now we don't have to worry about it, but now, what they're doing... What they're doing. So I'm not giving you any foreshadowing. Anyways. I don't need any foreshadowing. <laughs> I already saw the cause on your spreadsheet. Fair enough. The air traffic controller responded, quote... Dan Air 1008 cleared to the Foxtrot Papa Beacon via the Tango Foxtrot November flight level 110, expect runway 12, no delay, end quote. All of that to say they were cleared to a second VOR, another point, another beacon. It's not a VOR, actually. It's a beacon, I should say. It's a different reporting point. Via passing over the Tenerife VOR, which is at the airport, by the way. And to fly, you know, their flight level remain at 11,000 feet for the time being, expect runway 1-2 at the airport. 
The flight crew acknowledged the instructions and requested the weather information for the airport. 1.15 p.m. in 10 seconds, the air traffic controller informed the flight, quote, Okay, runway in use 1-2, wind 1-2-0 at 0-5, visibility 6 from 7 kilometers, clouds 2 of 8 at 1-2-0 meters, plus 4 of 8 at 2-5-0 meters, plus 2 of 8 at 3-5-0 meters, and eventually they also stated that there was drizzle at the airport. So it's also raining. So much for that sun destination, right? Happens. Yeah. It's actually very notorious with the Tenerife Airport, the Tenerife North Airport. Hey, it's almost like we've talked about how it suddenly gets foggy at the Tenerife Airport. Yeah. Wild. But it's not like it's not sunny destinations can be sunny all the time. No. Correct. So all of that to say, too, because we've never really talked about this before, and this is kind of an outdated way of stating this. Normally, all of this is in the ATIS information. They won't tell you exact cloud coverage, but that's what we're saying when we say two of eight. So eight being the fullest density of clouds, basically, overcast, complete overcast at an airport. Two out of eight being their rough coverage at 120 meters above the ground level. Four of eight at 250 meters above ground, above ground level, and another two of eight at 350 meters. Thank you for translating level. what I will be saying later. Why yeah. is it an eight? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why not choose five or ten or something? Why eight? Somebody came up with a measuring system for this once upon a time, and it's actually still pretty much the same measuring system today. However, they don't use this terminology, and they don't cover this anymore. They just use. It. They just use types, whether it be broken, overcast, or light, variable, things like that. Not some stupid number. Yeah. About a minute later, the approach controller instructed the flight to descend and maintain 6,000 feet, which was acknowledged by the crew. They began descending. The air traffic controller then requested the flight's distance to the Tenerife VOR, to which the flight replied that they were seven nautical miles from the beacon. 1.18 p.m. and 48 seconds, the flight notified the air traffic controller that they had just passed the Tenerife VOR and were on course for the Foxtrot pop-up beacon. Wait, hold on. I'm sure you've covered this before. What's the difference between a nautical mile and a mile mile? A nautical mile is ever so slightly longer. Yeah. It does have to do with boats. It's an old terminology. I figured it had to do with boats. And like- by the way, there's actually also multiple nautical miles. Multiple forms of nautical miles. And are they, you kidding me? Nope. And they it is are like, different. I need you to know the screen says one nautical mile is 1.15078 miles. That is correct. Why? Yes. Because the U.S. sucks. It's a standardized form it's, of... Yeah, it's not just the U.S. It's everywhere that uses yeah. it. It's According the to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, otherwise known as NOAA... Yeah, here you go. Nautical miles are used to determine the distance traveled through the water. A nautical mile is slightly longer than a mile on land, equaling 1.1508 land-measured or statute miles. The nautical mile is based on the Earth's longitude and latitude coordinates, with one nautical mile equaling one minute of latitude. Which actually makes a lot of sense if you're a boat. No, it does. Or an airplane. But it makes land miles make less sense. <laughs> <laughs> because they don't make sense. Yes, you are correct. No one, like, off the top of their head knows how many feet are in a mile unless you live in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. You mean not everyone knows it's 5280? 5280. Yeah. And then it's, what, 1760 for yards? Sure. <laughs> sure. I don't know that one. I don't know that one. I just know the mile. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. And there is a separate nautical mile. There's another nautical mile. So what's the other one? Because that's the same one. What's the other one you're talking about? Look up. uh, Oh, wait. Oh, no. That's in meters. meters. Because then it has miles right after it. 
Look up Nautical Mile and I don't remember what the other one's called. I don't know if it's a... Why are Nautical Mile... No, that's probably versus normal miles. I don't remember if it's Marine Nautical Miles or what. No, this is Marine Nautical Miles. Uh, not nautical anymore. Miles. <laughs> not anymore, it's not. Nautical Mile versus Nautical Mile. Yeah. Types of Nautical Miles. Air it's also used for space, apparently. Yes. yes, it is. The Final Frontier. I think you're full of Mm-mm. They are different. A Martian nautical mile. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. There is some other form Which of nautical 1, mile. Which is 1,075 yards. In case anyone's curious. This is potentially useful for celestial navigation on a human mission to the planet. See, at least yards make sense. Do they... Meters yeah, really. make sense. Meters make sense. What's nautical okay, measured mile? In the sea also there. A nautical measured mile is a nautical mile, which is marked by two pairs of towers. Okay. Somehow that's less helpful. Yeah, that didn't, doesn't mean anything. Okay, uh, I feel like we've anyway. gone down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Point is, In all, they're different. Nautical yes. mile is longer than a they're mile. Different, yes. There but by go. less than two tenths of a mile. And there's another <sighs> nautical mile, which is a separate measurement, and it is a different length. Okay, listen. We can't find the length. Yes. So if you know, let us know. But we need to stay on track. I got school tomorrow. <laughs> Let's go. The air traffic controller replied, stating, quote, Roger, the standard holding pattern over Foxtrot Papa is inbound heading 150. Turn left. Call you back shortly. End quote. We'll talk about that one later on because that matters a lot. Yeah, what year was this? 1980. Because that was not proper radio speech not entirely no and also there's a problem with what just happened but that's okay we'll talk about See, that later on. we got bogged down by the nautical mile conversation i don't yes. even know what just happened so they've flown over tenerife the airport okay over the beacon and everything and they've been given another beacon point beyond that yes to fly to they were now just given a hold at that beacon okay instructions for a hold at that beacon got it we'll talk about that later on there's either weather or traffic or something. There is traffic, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Actually, right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the holding pattern was given because they were following a slower turboprop aircraft just ahead on ah, the same approach. Got it. So some additional spacing was required. What they're trying to do, uh, to try to put a better picture in your mind, the reason why they flew over the airport past their destination is because they're having to land on the opposite side yeah, I figured. of the airport. So this approach is setting them up to basically do a 180 degree turn to then land on runway one, two. Got it. But they're allowing the slower turboprop airplane that's still ahead of them to go first. And they've put this airplane now into a hold. Which is good because wake turbulence. Also, yes. However, turboprop, not as much of an issue when you're talking about a 727 behind. No, I mean, if the 727 went in front. Yes. Wake turbulence. Yes, of course. Big plane versus small plane. Yep. Not great. Right. The flight replied simply, quote, Roger, Danair 1008, end quote, acknowledging the whole instruction for holding and everything. 56 seconds later, the flight called the air traffic controller and stated, quote, Danair 1008 is at the Foxtrot Papa Beacon level at 60, 6,000 feet, taking up the hold, end quote. So that means they're now entering a hold. The air traffic controller replied, Roger, and nothing more. Yeah, that, that's not, no. Actually, per the ICAO, great. they had no problems with this. At the time. Yeah, at the, at the time. time. At the now time. you can't do yeah, that. Yeah, this would not fly anymore. You can't just say rock. Neither does that plane. Where's oh, the rim God. shot? There you go. 
When the aircraft ahead descended below 5,000 feet, the air traffic controller then instructed the Dan Air flight to descend and maintain 5,000 feet. So the other one's still descending on its approach after it passed the 5,000 foot mark. Mm-hmm. They then, the air traffic controller instructed the Dan Air flight to descend to 5,000 feet and maintain it. The flight acknowledged and began descending. The aircraft began turning left in the holding pattern. It all happens super fast from here. So, sorry, not a lot of detail, but I've got like five points left and they're all super short. Okay. While the aircraft was in its turn, the GPWS suddenly began sounding. Whoop, whoop, pull up. Whoop, whoop, pull up. Whoop, whoop, pull up. That. Reacting immediately to this warning, actually, which does seem to be a rarity. Yeah, right? (laughs) In what we talk about, the crew actually began climbing the aircraft. Okay. And adjusting their turn. The flight crew made a call to the air traffic controller, quote, er, Dan Air 1008, we've had a ground proximity warning, dot, 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 end quote. And that was the last time they were ever heard from, because uh, because a whole two seconds later, they hit something. The aircraft struck a hill at speed and disintegrated on impact. Wait, what? How? Wait, 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 what? Wait. Oh. Hold on. There was next to nothing left of the aircraft, and the wreckage was spread out in a broad area over the hillside, literally in very tiny pieces. All 146 on board perished in the accident. They determined pretty much immediately. They didn't even know what happened. Okay, but but hold on. I don't even understand how that would even happen if they were in the right spot. I know, because we have a lot of kind of complicated things to talk about. Not a lot, actually, but we have a little bit of complicated navigation to talk about, which does tie into the VOR thing. Okay. Because what? I read this, so now you have to hear this. Okay. In the view of the nature of the impact, there were no survivors of this accident, and since the aircraft was totally destroyed and the wreckage and remains were widely scattered, identification of the victims was extremely difficult. Few bodies showed signs of burns, but all were severely mutilated. Identification was based on fingerprints and dental charts. Although it was not possible to identify the flight crew, there is nothing in their medical records to suggest that they were not medically fit. Yikes. That is the whole... Medical and pathological information section. Oh. Which is always a fun section to read. Mm, yeah. Most of the time it's not, actually. I'm being facetious. I know. That's it. That's all I have. It literally happened so fast. You know what I'm going to do? I feel like I was not lied to. I feel like they were in the wrong spot. And they hit a hill. You're not wrong, <laughs> but there's actually a few things going on here. But I don't understand how they would have made it to that beacon if they were going to the wrong spot, which means... Was it a different beacon that they saw, or did they not read their instruments correctly, or... None of the above, actually. But, but, what? but... I know, what? this is fit, but we're about to make you quite mad. Oh. This yeah. investigation was performed by the Spanish Civil Aviation Accident Commission. They did not mention the Spanish translation of that. No. Uh, it's, it's somewhere. We've talked about them before. With the assistance of the UK AIB. It's not the AAIB? It was not was yet. was not yet. Not yet? Not yet. Okay. Both black boxes were recovered. The FDR was sent to Madrid for readout and analysis, and the CVR was sent to England for readout and analysis. It is pretty miraculous, if you ask me, because the airplane really, there wasn't anything left. Yeah, didn't you use the word disintegrated? Completely. So did they, like, quite a few times, actually. Yeah. Due to the nature of the accident, there wasn't a whole lot of physical evidence to use. The disintegrated part, yeah. Um... (laughs) As such, much of the analysis concentrated on the communications with air traffic control and communications recorded on the CVR in the five minutes leading up to the accident. At 13.14, a.k.a. 1.14 p.m., I hope this was local time otherwise. It was, because that's also GMT. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, It turns out Manchester and Tenerife both in GMT. 
They didn't ever have to change times. It could not have been more convenient. There was only one time zone to talk about. Bless. <laughs> I know. Huzzah. The only good thing, but anyway. At 1.14 p.m., the crew radioed the approach controller when they were 14 to 16 miles from Tango Foxtrot November, which is the Tenerife VOR. I call it that. At flight level 110, or 11,000 feet, and a speed of 280 knots, they were cleared to the Foxtrot Papa Beacon via Tango Foxtrot November and to expect runway 12 no delay. The crew probably interpreted no delay as taking the shortest possible approach. Mm-hmm. The crew asked for the weather and were told that winds were from 120 at 5 knots, visibility was 6 to 7 miles, and all of that other crap that Nick said. Yeah. Yeah. With the stupid. I didn't even system. add everything in, but yes. Oh. Then cloud two octus at one two zero meters plus four octus at two five zero meters plus two octus at three five zero meters. November hotel ten thirteen temperature sixteen dew point eleven and drizzle. Yeah, those are in Celsius, by the way. Yeah, all of that is. I didn't even say all of that because most of that is not useful. The crew acknowledged and asked for the atmospheric pressure at the airport so that they could set their altimeters. But approach was talking to Iberian flight seven one one, who were past the VOR and descending to and maintaining flight level zero five zero. Approach control then told the accident flight to descend and maintain flight level 060 and to report their DME. The crew responded, uh, we're reading 7 DME, Tango Foxtrot November, and requesting the QFE, please, or the airport atmospheric pressure. Right. Approach responded with 943, which was acknowledged. Later, approach control corrected the pressure to 941, which was also acknowledged. In the cockpit, the captain asked the first officer to tune the ILS on his side and use the back beam for guidance. I don't know what that means. It's a little complicated, but basically it's kind of like the VOR thing where they're wanting to use the reverse radial tracking behind them because they're now passing the ILS behind them and they're wanting to set up back beam. Got it. They're wanting to set up on the glide slope when it reaches basically the same altitude that they're going to be at. Right. Got it. I'm so glad you know things. <laughs> Aren't we all? It's not to be fair, none of this is an easy concept and I'm trying to like generalize this very very much because this is yeah, that don't you love old forms of navigation? No. It's, it's pretty miraculous that we figured all this stuff out, but that the fact that we expected people to understand this with their entire being rough. Yeah. Rough. Hey, thanks for giving us aviation terms for dummies. Yes. Yep. That's my goal. Once the crew passed Tango Fox Trot November, or Tango Fox November as they continued to call it, they noted it verbally, but then waited 33 seconds to tell air traffic control yeah, that so they when, had done so. When they said that they had just passed it, they had a little more than just passed it. 33 seconds covers mm, sometimes up to two miles. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. Turns out. So that was odd. And this delay in reporting may have influenced subsequent events. Yeah. Okay. Investigators were unable to determine the cause for the reporting delay since no other conversation transpired and there were hardly any other conversations on the radio that would have hindered their transmission. Mm-hmm. Weird. Okay. Uh, all through this, their speed was increasing. Yes, it was. While the exchange was going on, the aircraft made a turn to the right, turning to heading 263, which was south of the 255 radial that they were cleared for. Right. At 1.18 p.m., the approach controller notified the flight that the holding pattern at Foxtrot Papa was, quote, inbound heading 150 turn to the left, end quote, which the crew acknowledged. For the next minute, there were no transmissions over radio, but the crew had a conversation inside the cockpit. The captain confirmed inbound 150 to your left, which created a mental image of an inbound heading of 150 towards some unknown point, which investigators were unable to determine, but that the inbound heading was to be commenced once over Foxtrot Papa. The captain expressed, 
confusion, saying, that's an odd sort of one, the runway. Wow, what? Would you like to run that by me again? (laughs) That's what it says. And the first officer also appeared to have doubts, but the captain said, I'll just turn straight round left on the 150 when I go over <laughs> Straight <laughs> round left. So are these sentences making sense to anyone here? <laughs> Where are these pilots from? The UK. The UK. The UK. Okay. They're British. Okay, yeah, you've mentioned that. I feel dumb now. <laughs> I'll just turn yeah, straight round left either. onto 150 when I go overhead then. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Okay. Here's all right. I'm already confused, but also. So was I when I was writing these. I'm like, I hope someone. Is the problem uh, is ATC telling them to turn that way toward the beacon or what? wait till they get to okay. the beacon to, to turn start that turn. way? Yes. So wait till you get to the beacon, then turn to 150 to head away from it. But they're going away what? from the beacon, right? They're heading, they're heading toward the beacon. It. I thought they, they were, were to, turning to the right away from the beacon. No, they turned right to head toward this other beacon. Okay. Away from Tenerife, the Tenerife VOR. Okay. They were going the Foxtrot Papa Beacon. And this is, I understand why this is all so confusing. They were confused too. Trust me. I understand well, why this happened. Well, now I understand the problem. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. They didn't take the heading that they were supposed to because they reported late. So they were now okay. on the wrong radial heading toward the VOR. But the 150 should theoretically still fix things except... That's they didn't end up over the VOR or over the beacon. We'll talk about that. So they're still heading toward the beacon, even though the reporting point was the wrong reporting point. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the the way that when they said a standard holding pattern, because that is what the air traffic controller told him. Right. Told the flight. A standard holding requires you to make a left turn to a certain heading, fly a certain straight line distance for a few miles. Yeah. There's a typical... It depends on the country. It depends on the regulations. But there's a typical distance you fly, and then you start turning around on other 180 degrees at your normal bank rate. Yeah, and you make a circle. Head back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's supposed to be a safe distance, right? Yeah. Well, a safe away pattern. from yeah, away from, from like, everything. You right. know, hills and mountains and such. Right. So yeah. what he's telling him is, you do this holding pattern by getting to this beacon, and then using the 150 radial. As your away point, where you turn away, you know, that's then you're heading straight out on 150. Okay. And then you head back. I know. This is... Now that I have a picture, this makes so much more sense. I yes. will show the picture once we get to the end of the analysis. Mm-hmm. But this is a hot mess. This yes, is a hot mess. It is. <laughs> Already. If you are listening and you're confused, don't look at the picture yet because I want... I, I want I am intending in the presentation for you to see it at the same time as these lovely folks here. So the fun thing is what we know is lovely. What what we know about what comes in the second half, because we'll talk about that later on, is what we're doing right now is setting you up to believe what the Spanish authorities also believe, which is that the flight crew put themselves in the wrong place. However, but there's a big giant asterisk right there. We'll talk about in the second half. Anyways, continue. All right. I'll just turn straight round left on the two on one five zero. Straight round to the left. I, I forgot yeah. how dumb these were. I still can't get over what when I go overhead then. But they maintained a high speed despite being close to Foxtrot Papa. And the captain remarked, "The only thing is, we're just about to miss it. Uh, uh, it's too close." The first officer responded, "Would you like the other one on the Fox Papa as well for this?" 
investigators were unable to discern what he was referring to. Yeah, the other what? The only thing that I can think is, so what they're doing right now, you you theoretically have two navigation radios in your cockpit, and they probably still have one tuned to the Tenerife VOR and mm. one tuned to the po- Foxtrot Papa Beacon. Okay. The first officer Dude, is I don't probably know. asking if he wants both on the Foxtrot Papa Beacon because it influences the instruments. So earlier in the report, it was mentioned that the first officer is very extroverted, which I assume was garnered from interviews with friends, family, and colleagues, and that he uses his hands a lot. Yeah. Like Nick. He's he's like an Italian or something. Or, or something. I wouldn't know anything about that. What? Not that. Not one. Are your hands purposely in your pockets right now so you aren't sometimes. using speak? I do that sometimes. <laughs> You're exposing the secret. Yes. Well, they can't see him. Investigators were unable to discern what he was referring to, but the captain responded, if you put them both on as we're going to hold, yeah. It was spelled Y-E-H. Yeah. Yeah. They sound like a bunch of Southerners. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I had to re-ask where they were from. And then a moment moment later said, "That's, uh, that's the Foxtrot Papa now. What investigators truly garnered from this whole conversation was that the first officer was mostly focused on selecting and identifying the beacon on the ADF rather than watching the instruments, yep. which the captain also wasn't monitoring either because he Uh-oh. was checking the charts. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. This is a spaghetti issue. We'll talk about that part in the second half as well. <laughs> the first officer reported to the controller, Dan Air 1008 is the Foxtrot Papa level at 6-0 taking up the hold, which the approach controller acknowledged. But according to the FDR, they kept flying on heading 263 for 20 seconds, putting them two miles away from where the holding pattern was supposed to start. Yep. And they were flying into an area where the minimum safe altitude is. Higher than they are? A lot. Start spitting out numbers. They're flying at 6,000 feet right now. 8,000. 10,000. 15 was actually pretty close. 14,500 feet is the minimum safe altitude where they are. That means Miranda was closest without going over. The flight engineer said, that's the fuel. Okay. (laughs) What is is going on? I don't know if it's like bad, like badly heard. I don't know. Badly translate. I don't know. And the captain and first officer were were continuing to doubt the holding pattern, saying things like bloody strange hold, isn't it? Uh, uh, (laughs) Isn't isn't parallel with the runway or anything? Okay. That should have been a sign. Yeah. That should have been like. Right. Hey, we're in the wrong spot. The flight engineer joined in the doubt with the first officer going back and forth. First officer. Isn't that way? It's that way, isn't it? Flight engineer. This is a three, isn't it? Hmm. Flight engineer again. That is a three, isn't it? Like, are they having trouble reading a number on a board? First officer. Yes. Well, the hold's going to be here, isn't it? It's time to turn, We buddy. don't know. It's late Go now. Go somewhere else. You were given instructions to turn and you didn't do it. Approach control contacted the crew saying Dan Air 1008 re-cleared to 5,000 on the Quebec Foxtrot Echo and the Quebec November Hotel, which was not a proper form of clearance since the crew might not know which value to choose for interpreting altitude, but they used the Q&H, which the controller gave when he thought they were entering the hold. After this descent clearance, the crew should have voiced concern over the risks of descending in the area, but they yeah. didn't. The captain then thought out loud, hey, didn't he say it was 150 inbound? Realizing that they were on the 150 magnetic away from Foxtrot Papa, Mm -hmm. not towards. Mm -hmm. The question led to the following dialogue. 
First officer, inbound, yeah. <laughs> Captain, that's... I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, me neither. Yes, to be fair. First officer, they want us to keep going more around, don't they? Yeah, you're supposed to you should be going in a circle. Uh, yeah. Sp- yeah, that's Christy, how holds work. Yes. Christy, your British accent sounds a little more Texas. <laughs> I'm not even trying. That's how it like reads. That's, yeah, that is how it, it reads. Does. It really does. That's why I like again, I had to ask where they were from because I was like, these guys sound like a bunch of southerners that don't know how to talk. All those times they said isn't it is probably in it. True. True. I'm not don't at nope. Then the ground proximity warning system sounded, and the captain broke off the turn to the left, ordered an overshoot, and said he's taking us round to the high ground. I really—it's over, Anakin. <laughs> I had—I have the high ground. I was waiting for that. Okay, I was gonna ask this, and then I forgot, and now I remembered. Does Tenerife have a radar? <laughs> I asked this question as soon as Kaylin walked in the door. Remember that three years Is earlier. Is that why I yes. plugged my ears? <laughs> Three years earlier, they did not. But the, it was a recommendation, yes. so did they get it? Eventually, they did. I have no idea if it was actually installed by this point. It, we, probably, like- we actually probably talked about it in that episode. The report for Tenerife wasn't released till 1980. Okay, I feel like. and, and don't, don't. So my wrong. guess is no. no. Well, I would say no, because clearly if they were, I feel like they, the controller would be like, where the hell are you going? Where yes, are well, you going? For one, and two, the other big sign is that the controller asked how many DME they were from the right. BOR, which tells me that he's still trying to paint the picture in his mind uh-huh. where the airplane is, uh-huh. not having it on radar. The captain then turned right, and in so doing, flew over about a valley, so the ground proximity warning system deactivated. The first officer said, I suggest a heading of 122, actually, and taking us through the overshoot. But the captain continued turning right, convinced that the left-hand turn he had been making was towards the mountains, and he told the controller, Dan Air 1008, we've had a ground proximity warning, at which time the flight engineer was saying, bank angle, bank angle, and they impacted. Mm-hmm. Oh. I feel like, and don't get me wrong, but I feel like you should go up. They um, were like faster. actually, but yeah. Well, there was no faster. There wasn't fast enough to get over this. You you might remember the minimum safe altitude is fourteen thousand five hundred feet. They determined yes. in the exact place where the airplane was, they would have had to clear at seven, which is still like they couldn't have made that happen. Not in that time. No. It was determined that the controller did not correctly position the Dan Air flight, which was evident because it was overhauling IB seven one one Iberia when the accident flight reported passing. Tango Foxtrot November sooner than calculated, he instructed them to hold at Foxtrot Papa and estimated they would take two minutes to get there. But they reported being there in just 63 seconds. He then authorized a descent to 5,000 feet, thinking that they were on the entry segment to the hold. 330 outbound from Foxtrot Papa in accordance with the procedure for entering a hold. But that wasn't what was happening. It was also found that the crew was flying at 250 knots, higher than advisable for this stage of the approach, which, coupled with the imprecise navigation, led them to flying 1.59 nautical miles south of Foxtrot Papa and reporting passing over Tango Foxtrot November 33 seconds after they actually did. So now for the picture. This will help to some extent. Picture. So the line that has all of the numbers marked on it is the path that they took. Okay. This was what they were supposed to do. Oh, God. They were already off. Yeah, that's not very close at all. I mean, you could be in the general vicinity, I guess, but they went really far out really fast. And all the turns were just 
wrong. They were really, really wrong. And you said they sped up, too? Yeah. So Yeah, they, I caught that, too. They were flying at 250 knots at one point. So you can see, as they passed the Tenerife VOR, they weren't exactly over it. They were flying at 246 knots and flew past it quite a ways before turning, not exactly on the radial, on the 255 radial, towards Foxtrot Papa, never actually crossed Foxtrot Papa before turning left. Which wasn't even where they were supposed to turn left. Yeah. And what was the visibility like again? They were in the clouds. They were in the clouds and it was raining. Drizzly. Mm -hmm. So So that's why they didn't see a mountain. Yeah. Crazy. Weird. There is actually... On YouTube, the CVR recording the last handful of seconds. It, don't don't listen uh, to CVRs. It's not good for your mental health. It's not, but in this one, I would say it's far less. There's no screaming on it. No, not like the the Mexico well, they, City one. They couldn't see what was happening. Yeah, you can't even tell. Like they they don't they never saw it. Yeah. You can tell in the That's recording little, that they never even knew. That makes me feel a little better, honestly. Mm-hmm. It always. Like, I always feel bad, like laughing and stuff, like when we're talking about this stuff, because like mm-hmm. people died, but like also at the same time. We also can't dwell in the morbidity of it all the time. Exactly. No. Um, when it, it sounds terrible, but whenever the crash is disintegrating, e, I feel better for those who died me because too. they didn't fast. feel it. Yeah. Yeah. There I, was nothing. I feel the same way about that Thai Airways flight that we covered recently. I feel the same way about the German Wings flight. Those were all into a mountain. Right. So, there's a whole nother bombshell we have to drop in the second half. Uh Uh-oh. But first we should... Is that all you have for this one, right? Yeah. Then let's take a break here. We'll do the normal stuff, and then we'll drop the bombshell. Okay, we're back. We are going to do all the normal stuff. There is actually all the normal stuff to do here. So we'll start with the findings. They found that the aircraft had a valid certificate of airworthiness, certificate of registration, and certificate of maintenance. The records show that it had been maintained in accordance with the approved maintenance schedule. Yeah. I only say that because I want to make clear, like, the navigational equipment wasn't the problem. Yeah. It wasn't a problem with the navigational equipment. They found that the commander did not follow, the captain, did not follow the correct flight path after passing the TFN or Tenerife VOR and did not know his exact position, particularly after he reported passing Foxtrot Papa, which they... Past, beside, but not over, <laughs> which is a big problem. Yes. They found that the approach controller should have instructed the aircraft to hold at the Tenerife VOR rather than at the Foxtrot Papa Beacon, because we will talk about that in a minute. That actually makes a lot of sense. Why didn't they do that? We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. They found that since the hold at Foxtrot Papa was unpublished... The information furnished by the approach controller was incomplete. So they what? just shouldn't have had them do that? Yeah, it was a non-standard holding. Well, Then well, why the f- did they do that? So there was a bomb Sorry, there, Paige. but we will talk more about that bomb after we do everything else. Because it's very pertinent to the other thing. Oh, Nick. They found that the crew had little time to assimilate the information on the hold at the Foxtrot Papa, and although they did not understand it, they did not ask for clarification. I can't stress enough that this should not have mattered much. What, them asking for clarification? This finding, yes, while important, don't get me wrong, it is important that maybe they should have asked for some clarification when they didn't understand things. Yes, I agree. However... This may have been the point that the Spanish used to their advantage. Hmm. 
Anyways, two more findings. They found that the captain should have paid more attention to his navigation in order to maintain a proper safe altitude in relation to the terrain. I would say not navigation, but he also, I mean, yeah, they were on the wrong side of the thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. They were but the also, wrong, they, they the should have been place. paying attention to altitude, and they should have been paying attention to their speed, yes. which they weren't doing any of that. The speed, they weren't paying attention to at all. The altitude, they were only giving, they were only doing what was given to them. Right. But they weren't paying attention to where they were in space. No. In relation to things, which, yes, was very difficult to do when they were also going as fast as they were. However, anyways, they were saying particularly as he was not being monitored by radar. There you go. There's your answer. No radar. Yeah, that was my big question. <laughs> So, and lastly, they found that the co-pilot, the first officer, did not check or query the operations being carried out by the captain as required by the company operations manual, with the result that the required cooperation between the crew did not occur, which basically is CRM. Yeah, but right? it was pretty new. It still I mean, Tenerife had happened three years earlier, right. but the report had didn't not come out till this year. And right. I know that they had some sort of idea about it, yeah. but I would... Well, and they were still saying that the company had specific procedures for it, though, right. and they weren't followed, which, okay, yes, is valid. However, none of that really matters. We'll talk about that. None of it really matters to me, because I actually kind of agree with the other thing. Anyways, that's it for the findings. The cause of the accident was that the commander, without taking account of the altitude at which he was flying, took the aircraft into an area of high terrain and thereby failed to maintain a safe height above the terrain as he was required to do. The following were contributory factors. Carrying out a maneuver without having it clearly defined. Imprecise navigation by the commander which reveals that he was disorientated. Lack of teamwork between pilot and co-pilot. CRM. Yeah. The short time between the information on the hold being given and the aircraft passing Foxtrot Papa. And the fact that the hold was unpublished. A, D, and E should have been the cause, not the contributing factors. The contributing factors should have been the crew's lack of CRM CRM. and their difficulties with the situation at hand. Let's do the recommendations and then we'll do the addendum. Addendum. There's a whole whopping three recommendations and they're all super short. Oh, Okay. They recommended that the flight crew should be reminded that precise navigation and adequate vertical terrain clearance are of vital importance. Okay. Duh. Yeah, but Sorry, I but would say that duh. that wasn't really the issue. I mean, no, I know- it wasn't because because this is an unpublished holding pattern. Holding pattern. So how there would they is, know? There is no published then minimum safe altitude. Oh, that's a big problem. There are minimum safe altitudes in charted areas, but because they were disoriented and they were having to do something that wasn't published, they didn't know what altitude they could descend to. They were only descending to what was given to them. I can't stress that enough. This doesn't matter. Frustrating. This doesn't matter. That recommendation should have been thrown out the window before it ever made it on paper. Well, that's why there's an addendum. (laughs) We'll talk about that. They recommended that when there are any doubts about the instructions provided by the approach controller, crews must request clarification before carrying out any maneuver based on the information received. Sure. I would not say that that's the problem. It's not the problem. That doesn't fix the problem either. You know what would fix the problem? You having a goddamn radar. That would fix the entire problem. Also, yes. Because, uh... I can see the recommendations. Why aren't any of those about that? <laughs> well, it was already probably in the Tenerife report. Needless to say, they weren't super fo- focused on this. However, yeah. this was a very deadly accident. This was the deadliest in Dan Air's history. And, of course, another very deadly accident in Tenerife. So it still had a lot of attention given to it. 
The last recommendation, they recommended that the ICAO should clarify some ambiguations in its documents and more specifically in relation to the need to publish all holding circuits to clarify the standard hold. Or, like, that should be the only recommendation. In other words, to me, yes, also, yes, absolutely. But also, why blame it on the ICAO and why not just have it anyways if you're going to do it? Yeah. Christy is trying to look up when they got radar and uh, the Wikipedia page question doesn't mark? say. Big old freaking question radar mark. Radar is not on this page. Question mark. They have it. They have it. Anyone I'm know? Sure you should let us know. So. Yeah. It's a very modern airport now, actually. No. It's very nice. So the addendum is a couple of pages. I am going to read this verbatim. Oh, I should. This comes not from the Spanish. This comes from the UK. The UK. The AIB. It is entitled Addendum by the United Kingdom to the Report of the Spanish Accident Commission on the Accident to the Boeing 727 GBDAN at Tenerife on April 25th, 1980. As the British are wont to do, the UK are wont to do at the time, it is in first person. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what they do. I will read this verbatim. As the United Kingdom accredited representative, I am, in general, in agreement with the contents of the report made by the Spanish Accident Commission on the accident to Boeing 727 Golf Dash Bravo Delta Alpha November, but consider that the following comments are necessary in order to give a proper balance to the report. One, the information concerning the holding pattern at Foxtrot Papa, which was transmitted by the air traffic controller was ambiguous and contributed directly to the disorientation of the crew. Yes. The transmission by the commander, the captain, that the aircraft was taking up the hold at Foxtrot Papa was acknowledged by the air traffic controller, but not queried. Or questioned. Right. In the absence of an instruction to hold, this amounted to a tactic approval. Yeah, or sorry, a tacit approval of the action proposed by the commander and implied that it was what the air traffic controller required. The United Kingdom interpretation of the criteria detailed in the ICAO document 8168 results in a minimum safe altitude for the procedural entry into the unpublished holding pattern at Foxtrot Papa of 7,000 feet and for the pattern itself of 6,000 feet. Neither of these two figures includes the recommended extra 1,000 feet applicable because of the wind effects in hilly terrain. No evidence came to light during the investigation that prior to the accident, any minimum safe altitude calculations had been carried out by a competent authority for this entry and holding pattern. In the absence of a published holding pattern at Foxtrot Papa, it is reasonable to propose that the crew of Golf Dash Bravo Delta Alpha November would accept an air traffic control clearance to descend to an altitude of 5,000 feet on the assumption that these calculations had been made. It is further evident that if air traffic control had not cleared the aircraft below 7,000 feet during its attempted entry into the holding pattern, this accident would not have occurred. Damn. Yeah, I, air traffic I con- would never doubt what ATC said. If they said, look, you're cleared to this thing, why would I go, yeah. what? Are you sure? Yeah. You're cleared no, that's to this, the whole point. You're cleared to this altitude in this hold pattern. You would think it's safe. Now- if they had actually done the hold pattern the way that it was designed, maybe. Maybe that would have been safe, yes, because it wasn't over the mountainous area. However, that does not qualify because it still wasn't a calculated minimum safe altitude. Anyways, there's more. The quote-unquote ideal track portrayed in Annex A1, so that was the, the map we showed you, is not practicable as it is not possible for an aircraft to fly around the sharp angles drawn. They actually determined that the 727 could not have been able to do the turns in that map. So, so the map why do they even extra- have it? Well, it wasn't published. They don't. Well, yeah, right. but why would, why, why, I don't, what, uh, uh, what? Why are people dumb, right. Nick? Uh, because they are. Well, um, that, that makes sense on why it looks like that, though. Yes. 
right? Like the big swoop turn at the bottom before right. they, you know, before they turn again. But yes, that makes a lot of sense. Anyways, a more realistic track over flying Foxtrot Papa would inevitably take the aircraft towards the area of high ground to the southwest of the airfield. This factor must be taken into account when calculating minimum safe altitudes. Tango Foxtrot November is only six miles from Foxtrot Papa, and there is little time in which to interpret the Tango Foxtrot November 255 radio before reaching Foxtrot Papa. As Tango Foxtrot November is equipped with a DME, and as no delay was expected, it would be quite understandable if the commander decided to fly a flight path which would bring the aircraft overhead of Foxtrot Papa on a heading of 302 degrees in a good position to carry out the published procedure for landing on runway one two there is some evidence that this was his intention up to the time the air traffic controller passed him the information regarding the hold at foxtrot papa it is considered that if the substance of these comments had been reflected in the findings and cause or causes the report would have been acceptable to the united kingdom Signed, R.G. Matthew, United Kingdom accredited representative. On July of 19... the thing that makes you sing, though. July of 1981. No, yes, it doesn't. because he wasn't addressing it to... But if he was, what the would public. it say? Yeah. Well, I have, the, I honor. have the honor to be your obedient servant. Right. That's not in here. Anyways. It is now. Yeah. The... But he doesn't have the honor to be their obedient servant no. because he is not at the service of. Yeah, no, he's telling them they're dumb. He's he's telling them like professionally. We agree with most of the things you said, except that <laughs> you really didn't balance this out with what actually happened because it wasn't feasible. I mean, all of a sudden they were given a hold, and they had basically two minutes to figure out that hold, mm-hmm. where all of their instrumentation was set up for an approach. By the way, which yes, they were flying too fast making it more difficult to do all these things. Even if they had entered an approach, they would have entered it way too fast, honestly. But that doesn't negate the fact that they still had no time to set up this random appro- this random holding pattern that they were suddenly giving within two minutes on the instrumentation that was already set up for an approach, which had totally different tracks, totally different so plans. on charts, are there published holding patterns in certain areas? So say... Absolutely. Say a storm comes across the Denver metro area. Yes. Because that never happens. Yes. Obviously. There is also a standard form of doing a holding pattern. If you're given a holding pattern in an area, the first thing you do is check the chart, the minimum altitude, make sure that it jives with what the air traffic controllers give you. However, usually they'll tell you to fly to a certain point or just immediately enter a holding pattern where you're at. And there's a standard holding pattern procedure. You fly that. But yes, when it comes to airports... There is, there are absolutely published holding patterns for given areas around airports and VORs and things like that. Places that have, of course, more traffic in a condensed area. So I guess if they're published, what does that mean in terms of accessibility? Because I'm guessing it doesn't mean it's in the cockpit with them. Nowadays, I'm sure they can look it up if it's published. Yeah, I mean, but they like, should. They should have all the charts for the airport they're flying to. If the Even if a physical chart. So in this case, they should have had a proper holding pattern map in the cockpit yes and they probably had all of that for the airport however only what was actually published this being an unpublished hold means it didn't matter it wasn't in anything they had in the cockpit but yes if they're going to fly to an airport they're supposed to have the charts all of the charts yeah airport nowadays you just have them on an ipad and yeah yeah Yeah. we call it the uh the electronic flight bag right efb but back then they were paper charts yes that said with all missed approaches so with every approach to an airport these days, generally around the world, 
if it's a published approach, then there's also a published missed approach, which requires you to fly to a point and begin a holding pattern at a certain altitude, which is above MDA. So yeah, there's absolutely published holds, specifically how to do it. And on those published charts is required to have the MDA in all of the minimum safe altitudes for the area. There's multiple factors here. Yes, there was human error and the crew made mistakes. CRM definitely, I mean, I know, of course, it was a new concept, but at the same time, it just was not very existent. They were doing the best they could, given the circumstances, but they definitely were lacking. Yeah. But the airport, the air traffic controller, the hold, the miscommunications, well, I wouldn't say miscommunications, but the poor communication styles were definitely not helpful. No, I would say that that's probably the initial and most likely cause. Yes, absolutely. And I agree. I mean, not saying that the crew wasn't contributory because they were. Yes, but they that's just it. They were contributing. They weren't. They were it wasn't contributing factors. <laughs> they were contributing factors to a different probable cause. Right. To something that they didn't address very well in the findings, let alone the recommendations, the mm. useless recommendations. Not to get too animated, but that is... It does make me a little mad. I do agree with the United Kingdom, actually, here, that this did not address yeah. properly. The, I concur. Concur. <laughs> the Nick, actual problem. Said, like, it's not to get too animated, but it's like you just said, pardon my French, and then said, crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my guy, you were not Miranda-level angry here. No. You don't need to be, like, saying, sorry, I was too animated. <laughs> no, that's not. usually me. Yeah. I know. All right. That was Dan Air Flight 1008. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Or yeah. 1008 yeah. as a yeah. repeated. 1008, 1008. Whatever. Some number. Thanks for listening. This is the part of the episode where we ask you to give us money. Um, <laughs> and then they change their minds and say, no, thank you. Your listening is plenty. Your listening is, is plenty. It is. I know. It would be nice for you to give us money. Also, yes. But you don't have to. It's a, it's a, a recommendation. You also <laughs> yeah. passively give us money by listening to that ad. So Yes. Which, which is, is going, going away. away. Yeah. But by the time you listen to this, actually. Why Actually, it no, it, it'll stop happening on the 14th. Oh, okay. So, with this episode, basically. Yeah. Why is it going away? Uh, Anchor, or not Anchor, Spotify for Podcasters is changing how they're doing ads, so. Gotcha. Are they just having a Spotify ad in the middle then? Yeah. So, we just don't There'll record be an ad, them. but. There will be an ad. But it's you not. You are Im- still passively giving us money. Yes. Kind of. It's not an ambassador ad, and we didn't, it's not the one we recorded. But we're still no. making money off of it. So thank you for that. And also check out the Patreon because there's so much stuff on there mm-hmm. and it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you run into our travel blogs, vlogs, <laughs> recordings, yes, on um, the post episodes, those are gold. Yeah, they really are. Also really go listen to those blooper reels. Yeah, they're funny. Yes. Don't tell me what to do. I'm telling you what to do. I've been telling you what to do for years. Don't tell me oh, how I to know. live my life. You bullied me into joining the band. You bullied me into jo- going to CMEA with you guys. And that's why we got stuck in the snow. <laughs> guys, we're at almost at 100 patrons. If I you want to have heard that story, that was on last, last, last week's post episode. episode. So you should do that. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Like I said, check out the Patreon page, yep. check out the merch page, yep. check out the listener episodes, check out all that stuff. Like, subscribe, share. <laughs> Hit Smash that, that like button. <laughs> Smash that like. Destroy that share button. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh my God. Or whatever. 
Thanks so much for listening. Nick. Yeah. He's old and cringe. I know. That's <laughs> the whole point. We're all old and cringe. That's the whole point. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep, Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by the lovely Paige. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.